Hello and welcome to Kyrinos Finsight, the podcast that explores some of the most pressing topics for financial services. Insights that help you navigate today and anticipate tomorrow. Welcome to the Kyrinos Finsight podcast. Today, my guest is Olivia Liu, who is Director of Marketing and Product in our Omnichannel Sales and Experience Practice here at Kyrinos. Welcome, Olivia, to the podcast. Thanks, Rutger. Yeah, before we dive into talking about overdrafts, can you tell us what your role at Kyrinos entails? Yeah, so at Kyrinos, I run our, so like exactly what you said, marketing strategy and product strategy practice. So basically work with a lot of different financial institutions, whether they're traditional banks to fintechs of the world, figure out how they actually should compete in the marketplace, leveraging marketing as well as product innovation to actually win over customers. Now, before we dive in, we're going to talk about overdraft today. Can you, in very simple terms, just explain what what overdraft means or overdrawing your account means? Overdraft generally means that there is, due to a transaction, there has been now a deficit in your bank account, meaning when a consumer potentially has $5 in their account and they go out and make a purchase um, of $10 and there is a deficit of $5, meaning negative $5 in their account. And when that, when the bank lets that occur, that means that $10 transaction actually went through, but that means that that particular customer also overdrafted because they didn't necessarily have the whole $10 in their account. So this tends to be a pretty, pretty big problem, but also a problem that problem that actually applies to a lot of different types of consumers. Great. So you're basically going into the red, the money that you don't have that the bank is basically spotting you. Exactly. Exactly. Now, it seems that we hear new announcements every day about changes to overdraft policies. What, what's the current state of play? You know, there has been a lot of momentum in the space. Uh, from the largest banks announcing getting rid of their overdraft and insufficient fund fees um, to actually announcing pretty large, I would say, overdraft innovations, um, such as uh, Standby Cash by Huntington, to smaller banks, I would say, announcing more, um, a little bit more transparent types of policies. And, and you mentioned another thing there, insufficient fund fees. So it, if you do overdraw your account, and in your example, you go to $5 into the red, many banks will charge a fee for that. Is that is that what that insufficient fund fee is? Yeah, exactly. It'll charge a fee for that. Um, and honestly, if they don't, if they try to actually transfer money as well into that account, try to cover you and spot you, um, and it, there isn't necessarily enough funds, then that's also when they charge you. But yes. Okay. So what are clients telling you is the main impetus for the, for the changes? Regulators haven't issued any new restrictions, have they? No. So actually, regulators have not made any major changes, but there has been a lot of pressure from the new administration and in particular from the CFPB to actually further regulate overdraft. Um, and CFPB, meaning the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, really there to function as the as the regulatory uh, group that actually protects uh, consumers' interests um, when it comes to financial services. So Senators Warren and Booker actually introduced an amendment to some of the regulations um, last year to actually drive further um, scrutiny around how much banks can actually make or how much banks can actually make from a revenue perspective from overdraft. It didn't pass, but the fact that that amendment actually was up for discussion and debate made it so that there's more, more regulatory pressure. 
that's uh, that's very clear. So the banks are actually getting ahead of the regulator, but the regulator is clearly giving them some hints that um, if they wouldn't, that there would be regulation coming. Now, overdraft has been a big source of revenue um, for for banks, right? So does that all go away for banks? Uh, generally speaking, overdraft accounts for about seventy percent of non-interest revenue for a typical uh, typical bank, and so, given the level of not only regulatory pressure but also competitive pressure, now that a lot of different banks and fintechs have historically really made a movement in this space, we're expecting probably a decline of about sixty percent in in the stream of revenue. That is a pretty massive decline in in revenue that would need to be really reevaluated by institutions in the space. Yeah, I, I would say so. That does seem like a, yeah. a large number. That isn't like one or two percent. That is like seventy no. percent of non-interest revenue. That is a big. That is a big amount of money. Now, now, how do how do you think banks can make up for lost overdraft revenue? Yeah, there. You know, the first thing that really comes to mind when it comes to making up for that revenue uh, stream is actually focusing on increasing customer value. So, making sure that your experiences, your products, are actually designed in a way that's very fit or a good fit for the customer base that you're serving is going to be critical, especially in making sure that you're driving deeper value and you're keeping and retaining that customer for a much longer time. That will help um, actually drive, of course, un- really make up for some of the lost revenue from overdraft, but also I would I would argue make it a much better experience for your customers overall. You know, the second big opportunity though, I, I really think this is a interesting time and really special time in the in the industry is that this this gives this actually creates an opportunity for banks or other institutions to really think about what's next when it comes to actual you know different potential different streams of revenue we've always as an industry have thought about fees in more of a penalizing way and one of the things that i think banks can really think through is whether or not we can actually flip the script on fees and actually create potentially a more value-driven type of uh, fee revenue. So it's more service-oriented. So what is it that I can do that provides much more value to my customer that they're actually willing to pay for? So that's something that I would argue it should certainly be top of mind for product leaders in the space to actually really think through what's next. Kirinos recent, recently issued a report on overdraft with the, yes. the Consumer Banker Association. What, what did that reveal about customer behavior? Yes. So that so the fascinating things about that report, there are two big takeaways. The first is that overdraft is really actually a service that is utilized by consumers across all demographics. I think one myth that is out there in the marketplace is that Overdraft tends to be for consumers of either lower income or are less um, less privileged overall. And what we have found actually from the study is that consumers of all income as well as all asset levels actually utilize overdraft, but just in different ways, which I would say leads to the second big takeaway out of the study is that overdrafting actually tends to be more of an intentional action than it is than than not. And so what we have found is that the majority of people who have overdrafted in the past year have actually cited that it was a conscious decision that they were making, that they were overdrafting into their account. Were there any reasons mentioned in, in the report to make the, to, to overdraw their accounts to actually make some sort of a payment? 
Yeah, so I'll I'll bring up maybe a couple of segments that we found. So based on the overdraft results, we and attitudes, we were actually able to segment and figure out who what types of use cases, what type of consumers is actually use, utilizing overdraft. One yeah. one segment is what we like to call the lifestyle segment. This group, one of the biggest drivers and attitudes um, behind their financial decisions is they must and need to always look successful. And that's just part of, that's that's an attitude that really is a big motivator for this particular segment. And this segment tends to be actually higher income and tends to have more assets overall than the typical or average American. Now we have another segment that are really the day-to-day needs where there is cer- there are certainly folks out there, there's a segment that utilizes overdraft to actually help cover certain unexpected expenses, but certainly um, something that's, you know, really critical to their day-to-day life, whether it is paying a bill and helping helping them cover that. Uh, and so, as you can tell, lots of different use cases, but certainly intentional. And so overdraft then really isn't necessarily a gotcha like what you talked about, but it's more so a service um, that a lot of consumers intentionally use. Interesting that both kind of from a, hey, I don't want to look silly at the checkout because <laughs> yeah. it bounces, but also kind of like, hey, my washing machine broke down and I'm not getting paid until two weeks from now, but I do need to replace my washing machine or yeah. maybe maybe even pay my rent, right? Those might be things that people actually choose to do. And maybe there's there's even worse consequences than paying a fee, right? If they don't make that exactly. payment. So that, makes, exactly. that makes sense. Now, if, if overdraft goes away, doesn't that leave some consumers in the lurch? It really does. And so this is this is a big concern. If overdraft truly goes away, it will leave consumers, certainly some of the consumers in the use cases that we just talked about, especially mm-hmm. those that are you know unforeseen or unexpected things that have happened um, that would certainly push consumers to potentially other forms of credit. And so one of, I would say one, one of the big, things to think about then for a lot of institutions who are playing in the space is what if you are to actually rethink overdraft, are there other ways then to address some of those needs? Yeah, which which then sort of raises the question, what, what kinds of products can be be created to replace overdraft? Are there different strategies for, for yeah. big banks versus small institutions? What what are your thoughts there? Generally speaking you know, based on the use cases that we we even just talked about, credit products is really a natural place to extend to and just rethink what that looks like. Because many of these cases require either, I would say, some form of small dollar lending. So not a large amount of credit um, or access to credit that the consumer would need. But there may be cases where, like you said, um, maybe the, the, the washer and dryer or maybe that has, you know, both are broken. In that case, it's a much larger expense, or maybe the car has broken down and we need to actually fix the car so I, so the consumer or customer can actually go to work. Those are larger expenses that may require other credit vehicles to actually help figure out how to actually address that for the consumer if you, if you were to actually replace overdraft. Now, I would say though, for smaller institutions in the, in the industry, this doesn't mean that I don't necessarily foresee overdraft getting replaced necessarily for smaller institutions overall. We're likely going to see more near-term actions, like more, you know, implementing more transparent overdraft policies, more consumer-friendly changes, like a lower, um, a lower overdraft fee. 
um, a higher de minimis. So maybe there, there's more of a grace um, for how much you can overdraft um, or maybe even some sort of grace period, right? Like get, let's give you um, 24 hours to actually make up what you had created from a deficit perspective. And to be clear, this de minimis, that, that, it's a great Scrabble word, <laughs> but what, what, is that, what does that stand for? Yeah, so de minimis is the amount uh, that you are able to overdraft and so create a deficit and go negative in into your account without being without being charged a fee. So it's more of a of a grace, if you will, um, that the bank is providing. Yeah. Now, now we also hear a lot about buy now, pay later. Does that fit into the overdraft equation? I, I think there's a big possibility for uh, buy now, pay later, BNPL to actually try to fit some of these use cases, especially what we talked about a little bit earlier with um, the lifestyle, that lifestyle segment where it's more yeah. commercial purchases. That's the perfect place where BNPL really plays. Um, I do think it could be a really interesting opportunity for BNPL providers to think about what are other use cases to actually extend that credit chassis into such as potentially paying bills, or maybe it is a larger purchase and or a larger expense that would need to be covered. It's certainly something that would be fascinating to see um, as BNPL picks up. Yeah. And maybe sort of these kind of somewhat unexpected um, payments that you need to make, right? Like you go to the dentist and you thought everything was okay, but now they say you need quite a bit of treatment, <laughs> right? And it's going to be... $500, maybe that's where the buy now, pay later, right? This sort of point of sale financing actually could come in and, and replace where maybe otherwise you would have overdrawn your account. Exactly, exactly. And it actually gives you, it, it may give you a really great alternative um, without impacting, really impacting your status with the bank, would, would give, give you a really good and clear also installment payment method as well, so that it, break, it really breaks down that credit vehicle for you. Have you seen any other kind of innovations for short-term liquidity or, or fintechs leading to charge here? Yeah, so we are seeing uh, quite a bit of innovation, short-term liquidity in the space. Um, so a lot of small dollar lending. Um, BNPL, of course, is like a big part of that movement as well. Fintechs are moving fast in the space, but we are seeing traditional players like um, Huntington as well as PNC really start launching and rethinking what this looks like. I know we talked about standby cash earlier. That is certainly a way um, for small dollar lending, and it actually provides a pretty clear installment payment schedule as well to their customers. The other, I would say the other part of short-term liquidity though that a lot of institutions have not necessarily thought through uh, or have not necessarily taken, have, you know, innovated in within um, the space is actually around expanding that credit box. I, I think also what we're seeing, right, is with, with Chime and, and some others are, are offering this as well, where you can get earlier access to your, your paycheck, which could sort of do the same thing, right? If, I'm, if I have a payment and I'm short because I, I'm not going to get paid until, I don't know, a couple of days that might lead to overdraft if they give me access to that that might solve the problem is that is that another way how fintechs can can play into this space yeah so fintechs really led the charge on that with chime on uh, and i i will say that that is certainly something that we're seeing more folks start pick up parts start to pick up on too from a traditional bank's perspective. So certainly fintechs leading, but not not necessarily finishing out. <laughs> so a lot of followers and fast followers. That 
is certainly, especially two-day payday advance, certainly something that will likely become more table stakes or increasingly more table stakes as more players start offering that service. Yeah, yeah. And and we talked about buy now, pay later, but that is mostly also sort of driven by fintechs, right, that are doing that, the Klarna's and the Afterpay's of the world. And mm-hmm. PayPal obviously is very big in that. So all with a, with a sort of a fintech background. I think what's interesting there, what, what I observe is that they, they will sort of step you into um, larger amounts, right? So maybe that's a way to sort of assess credit worthiness to say, hey, first you can, I, I'll give, I'll spot you, I'll give you a loan, a buy now, pay later loan for something under $50. And then if you pay me that back, then maybe next time I'll let you have a loan for a hundred. And then maybe after that, I'll let you have a loan for a Peloton bike, right? Which might mm-hmm. be thousands of dollars. Thousands. Um, <laughs> right. Yes. And, and that might be a way to, to sort of easily step into with customers that might not have the best credit, right, or don't have a credit history to actually build one rapidly by giving them a buy now, pay later loan and see how they how they pay back. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a way to test in, really, yeah, test and learn as you go. Um, I do think there are probably other other variables out there that should be considered. Even, you know, I, I know this this comes up a lot is evaluating how often you pay your rent um, on time or how, right, what is your timeliness of paying certain certain bills on time, et cetera. And so that, those are certainly things to continue to evaluate um, and certainly a big opportunity for the industry. Finally, we're, we're asking each guest, uh, what, is a, what is a term or an acronym or a lingo that you would like to retire or redefine? Ah, I love this question because I would love to redefine segmentation. <laughs> the word segmentation in this space. The number of times that I've talked to people within the industry who have defined their target segment as Gen Z or millennials. Um, now, I just want to redefine it because the reason why Gen Z and millennials are not true target segments nor segments is because they are not monolithic and they are certainly too big of a group <laughs> to, to actually target. So I would like to redefine the word segmentation into the definition of a consumer segment that incorporates attitudes, behaviors, as well as engagement model. And so all three of those items really then tell us the story of what motivates that certain segment, which then should really inform us when it comes to marketing positioning and product innovation and experience innovation. So that segmentation is what I'd like to redefine. <laughs> Great. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense to, to redefine that and not just sort of say, hey, based on someone someone's age, that, that <laughs> is, a, is a segment. So I think that that is very helpful. Uh, you also brought a Finsight fact uh, for us, which I thought was very, very interesting uh, um, and very insightful. So the Kirinos research has found that financial institutions that haven't adopted overdraft innovation have experienced a nearly 30% reduction in consumer acquisition. That is quite impactful. Um, do, you, do you want to elaborate a little bit on that on that finding? Yeah. So that finding was specifically from our U.S. shopper research, and actually making a comparison of twenty from between twenty seventeen to twenty twenty, just to even get a sense of for those who actually went to the marketplace with some sort of overdraft innovation, what was the difference in their acquisition power and in terms of how what 
what share of the churning population, so what share of consumers did they were they actually able to acquire? And what's interesting is that those who did not actually go to market with overdraft innovations, we saw a 30% decline between 2017 and 2020 in how effective they were in acquiring new to bank customers. That's powerful. <laughs> that that is, is very powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that, that's certainly something to to take away here. Um, if for nothing else, take that away and think about that and see what you can do as an organization. Now, thank you again, uh, Olivia, for joining us today. I'm Rutger van Fossen, and this has been the Curanos Finsights podcast, helping you navigate today and anticipate tomorrow. As always, thank you to our Curanos Finsights team. Robin Seidel is our Director of Thought Leadership, Editing and Production by our Senior Designer, Adrian Cohen. Project management by our marketing communications manager, Megan Rosette. Music is by Vision Studios. I'm your host, Redco Vemfazen. You can find more insights at curanos.com. Please subscribe and review wherever you listen to podcasts.